Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Red Deer Originals Podcast, episode 19. Sorry for the long hiatus. Um, Life is busy, man. It's hard to get these things in. It's hard when you have a family and a job to make time for these types of things, but I'm glad I got this one in. And yeah, thanks for tuning in. Um, This episode features a good friend of mine now named Blake Hall. Blake Hall is the owner-operator, chief herdsman of Prairie Gold Pastures. And that is just about five kilometers outside of the city of Red Deer. They do 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef. And also eggs. And also, that's it, I think. And his wife does flowers. Check them out. PrairieGoldPastures.ca for all of your needs. And you know what? Um, In the first couple seconds of the podcast, Blake and I talked about doing an intro to Red Deer Originals because he said he had been listening to a lot of podcasts. And I, he thinks I need an intro. So, here we go. Red Deer Originals was originally started to showcase the lives and the times of uh, individuals that have grown up skateboarding in Red Deer, Alberta. And since that time, I've done 18 different episodes with different people. And we've done a couple of episodes that have branched away from skateboarding and just have talked to a couple people that have had interesting lives, interesting experiences, and they have kind of unique type jobs, I suppose. So it's been really fun, and I've really enjoyed just getting to know these different people. And the purpose of the podcast, essentially, is just to shed some light on the on the lives of guys that have grown up in Red Deer, that have skateboarded in Red Deer, that have done different things because of skateboarding and because of just basically the uh, the willpower of people who skateboard, I think is really unique and I think is very cool. Uh, pretty much everybody that has been on the podcast has skateboarded in some capacity, except for episode 17 17 with uh steve spiegelman who is the fire captain and paramedic of an office or no of a what is that called again whatever he was a fire captain in red deer and he had never touched a skateboard in his life but we know him because uh we're just mutual friends he's hung out of joel's house and super cool that's the only guy so far. Everybody else has uh, has done some skateboarding to some capacity. So it's pretty cool. But it doesn't mean you need to be a skateboarder to be on this podcast. Basically, I want to get to know you. I want other people to get to know your story and just talk about life and times and stuff. Like everybody's got an interesting story, an interesting thing. And Red Deer Originals is here to showcase those type of things. So... That all being said, I do hope you enjoy this episode. It was super fun sitting down with Blake. I uh, went out to his his ranch and did a little tour actually too, and checked out like the land that he had out there and uh, just all the animals and everything that's going on out out at Prairie Gold. Pretty sweet. Um, 
And I appreciate the hell out of that guy, man. Super smart, super intelligent conversation we had. I felt very dumb at times because I, I didn't know most of the stuff he was talking about. But that's fine as well. So hopefully, hopefully everybody enjoys. And I'm sure you're going to learn something from this, man. I, ne- I learned a lot about E. coli and where it comes from. And yeah, it's intense. So um, have a listen. One thing I will say too is kind of a, I kind of messed up at one point here. Um, at about the 30 minute mark, we were talking and I was recording on my phone because my microphone SD card ran out and I got another one, but it didn't show up and blah, blah, blah. Good excuses. Yada, yada, yada. And I didn't put my phone onto airplane mode and it rang. And I ignored the call, but then it didn't continue recording. And I thought it was because the timer was going, but it wasn't actually going. So we missed some stuff. So about the 30-minute mark, he's talking about how he was a first-year carpenter. And he was in the carpentry program at Red Deer College. He went on from there. So this is the fill-in part. He went on from there to get his... uh, journeyman red seal in carpentry moved to ontario and worked with a ground up uh construction guy so they build houses or homes from basically like digging the hole pouring the foundation doing all the cribbing right to like painting the final door jam type thing like finishing carpentry everything but on the side he was doing agricultural endeavors and also skateboarding at local skate parks with people and that's where he met the dude he bought his initial herd of cattle from so we missed about 10 ish minutes of the episode and i i'm very sorry that that happened so hopefully that gives you a little background but most of the juicy stuff happens after that anyway so you're not missing out on too much so please enjoy this episode of Red Deer Originals, episode 19, Blake Hall. Okay, so I've been listening to Red Deer Originals this yeah. week. Yeah. And I listen to quite a few podcasts. Okay. Are you editing at all? Um. Like if I say something that you... I haven't worried about it. Okay, alright. Like we're not worried about offending people. I feel like you need a, an intro, man. Oh. Like what? I feel like I'm going <laughs> to ask you a couple questions right now. Oh, sure. And it's going to make you a backbone of a, an intro. Mm-hmm. It's like... Like a musical intro? Or? No, like okay. you've got that. You've got a bit of music. Yeah, the little do-do-do-do, whatever. Yeah. But like a bit about who you are as the host and like right. what the goal of Red Deer Originals is. Yeah. It's kind of undefined, the goal. I know who I am, I suppose. Most yeah. For the most part. Uh, you do, but your listeners in Norway guess, and Russia and... Yeah, I guess. As you kind of... As the uh, ripples in the pond get further and further from yep. who from you me. are. It's yeah. like, who's this Luca? I should, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like it would just kind of carry... All oh, right. The cat just jumped on my lap. Super. super. That's Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Vermin Patrol. That's awesome. It's actually crazy. We feed him all winter, and then he stops eating. He just goes pure carnivore all summer. No way. He'll come packing gophers and moles and all kinds wow. of stuff. Yeah, birds. Crazy. 
Nature's deadliest predator on your lap. They're the best, dude. I love cats. I have two. Do you? They're okay. amazing. Like, my, my one cat has brought home birds and rabbits like city <laughs> rabbits not a, like a full-grown one but like a like i don't know a younger bunny yeah. and like ate it like killed it in the yard and ate its head like we came back or my wife sent me a picture of this rabbit i thought i had it on my phone but i can't find it anymore but it's worth showing people if i can find it but it's like a bunny not like a big bunny but a bunny and She's like, send me a picture. I'm in school at the time. And she's like, Cubby just brought this thing home. It's dead. I'm like, what? I'm like, well, she's like, I don't want to touch it. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. I'm like, okay, I'll deal with it when I get home. I get home at like four o'clock and the bunny's head is gone. Oh my God. I was like, oh, that's savage. So I like picked it up and just threw it away. And I'm like, I'm not going to bury this thing. What do you do? Right. So yeah. But yeah, I'll do an intro. I'll okay. do a little, uh. I usually do like the pre-recorded thing and whatnot, and we'll do that up. All right. And I guess like we can talk about why we started to do this or why I started to do this. I thought yeah, just freestyle on it right now. I've always thought it'd be cool to get to know people in and around Red Deer that have mostly like when I started, it was geared like completely towards just like skateboarder guys. Yeah. And um, I'd been listening to like. I started listening to this one podcast called The Nine Club, and they interview, like, professional skateboarders and talk about, like, where they came from, why they started to skateboard, all that fun stuff. And I was like, I should just do this for Red Deer. I'm like, I'll totally, like, it's totally, like, copy completely, whatever. So then I, I listened to that, and I'm like, this is a cool idea. I'll do this. Pitched it to, like, uh, a couple people, and they're like, yeah, that'd be fun. So we started to do, I did the first one with carl was the first guy ever and then from there um i was like you know what i know more people than just skateboarders that have interesting stories and interesting lives and do different kind of things and whatever so i'm like i'm just gonna start seeing if people want to do interviews and it, like for, like for the most part it's completely just for my own satisfaction of just like getting to know more people and just because like you don't do this a lot in real life i find you know like even even some of the dudes i've been friends with for 20 plus years mm -hmm. now i've never sat down with them and been like so where'd you go to school like why'd you start skateboarding like what was your childhood like yeah. like and like yeah it's been cool like lots of nothing like nothing super crazy has come out of it like i haven't gotten money or none of that i've gotten offers to do some ads like pre-podcast ad or whatever but most of them have been kind of stupid <laughs> well like no not like that's not not all true like i did like an ad for industry and then an oh, ad yeah. for like another buddy that has like a concrete company yeah. so i like just say this is brought to you by blah 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 and yeah. whatnot and so it's been yeah some of that stuff is cool there's one i'm gonna do though that's just like for the platform that i use and they um they offer money just to say that um, you can send me a voice recording of what you thought of oh whatever okay. yeah so I'm, i'll probably do that one that's pretty chill so yeah but so, yeah man that's kind of why i started to do it and it's been fun it's just kind of fun yeah yeah and you are luke bradley i'm luke bradley and you are that's a red deer original yeah i lived here my whole life yeah basically you love red deer i do yeah yeah i've yeah I've thought about moving a couple times, I suppose, but 
I don't know. The only thing that gets me down as I get older is the weather. Mm. Really. Yeah. That's about it. I'm just getting tired of winter. But, <laughs> yeah. but what do you do? I feel like winters are getting milder, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Like, what did you think about this past winter being, like, a farm guy? I felt like up until, whatever, late February, it was the best winter ever. There was no snow. It was plus temperatures in December, like, plus four, five. Still plus. Yeah. It was dry. I'm like, this is amazing. This winter's the best ever. But then it got super cold for, like, a month. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's my perspective on winter as a native Red Deer Albertan. Yeah. The older I get, the more I like it, and I think it's because of my chosen vocation as a farmer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, right now the sun goes down, it's light till 11, and it's light again at 4.30 in the morning. And it's like, we're busy, we're calving. Right. Everything's kind of getting going for the summer, and it's just like, full on. Yeah. And by the end of August, I'm going to be so glad that the days are getting shorter. Right. And winter for me is like time to kind of retreat into my cocoon okay. in the office <laughs> and like uh, catch up on reading and yeah. podcast time. And Sweet. So I, I, I like that a lot, kind of yeah. embracing the pronounced seasonality in Alberta. Mm, okay. This winter in particular, exactly, everyone was bitching because they thought it was so long and cold and for sure february was yeah but, but it was so nice it all was. fall i know no snow it, was... it snowed a bit in september yeah that people were like <laughs> what the freak yeah and then but then it got nice again it did yeah i remember christmas was nice we were yeah. out skating on the dugout it was Sweet. awesome nice but yeah then it got super cold but then you super know, cold it shaped Definitely. up it always does mm-hmm. um so yeah, my main responsibility in the winter is just keeping these cattle fed. And so the nicer it is, the less they eat, yeah. the easier time they have. So For sure. Uh, February, they were eating a lot more and I had to kind of keep a close eye so that they weren't losing body condition. Right. Um, but yeah, now they're all having their babies and everybody's, everybody's healthy happy. and happy. Yeah. That's sweet. How do you like monitor body condition? Just like, do you have to measure them or do anything? Well, like that, or just just go out and be like, that one looks pretty good still. Yeah, they be. say you can't use your eye. Oh, okay. It's like uh, so subjective. It's like oh. if the sun is shining or if it's a cloudy right. day, it looks different. You actually have to get in there and feel them, but yeah. you get a pretty good idea. Yeah. You're basically just looking to see where there are fat deposits on the body and okay there's lots of good comparisons it's on a score of five in yeah. canada i think it's nine in the states oh okay except we have half points in canada so it's basically nine anyway right um but there's like really comprehensive descriptions and pictures on the government website even so okay. it's like body condition oh, of yeah. two and a half that is considered good for the winter right um and for calving and stuff if they slip below that then need to feed a bit more they're healthy yeah it's just they're burning their energy reserve up you know and that's normal if you think of the bison on the prairie it's like they gorge on this beautiful prairie grass Mm -hmm. all summer and get nice and fat and Mm -hmm. then over the course of the winter they'd burn through that fat as they're gestating their calf and eating a poor quality feed yeah so we we stole this term but we call it the haystack on the back okay it's like we try to send them into the fall nice and fat and yeah. then they we actually expect them to lose some body condition over the course of the winter for sure leading into calving in yeah. the spring yeah cool 
Cool, cool. Okay, let's. I want to start from scratch almost here. Yeah, because let's do I it. Need to know. Now you know what I think about winter. Yeah, that's good. Let's go back to the beginning. I, that's great. Um, to me, I'm completely opposite. I think winter should be the time you buckle down and just work because there's nothing else to do because it's shitty outside. <laughs> but you have to have a job that facilitates that kind of thing. And then summer, yeah. I just want to chill. Totally, man. That's so, a good point. Yeah, because like I know, like I used to do like uh, seasonal jobs, like uh, concrete work, roofing. I did framing by accident for like three, four months, and it's like it's all like okay, it's nice out from six a.m. or whatever, four a.m. till ten at night, so we're gonna work. Yeah, but that's the time you want to be kind of enjoying the the fruits of your labor. Exactly. Almost, I feel like yeah. so that's I'm I'm just opposite in that way because I know lots of people that do that. They work super hard all summer and then do nothing for the winter and just like chill. But yeah, I guess if you could like go away or something. Yeah, I guess I could qualify that more. It's like, all the work needs to get done, but we're also, like, so keen to get out to the beach and Mm -hmm. go camping and have barbecues, Mm -hmm. and it's like, even if we're only working an eight-hour day, it's like we're still awake from early in the morning till late at night, and fall comes, and it's like, man, I'm played out. Probably bagged for sure. And it's like, uh, there's this, oh, we'll be getting way out there already, but there's this... Uh, he was, I think, Austrian, Rudolf Steiner. Okay. He was, like, he was in the 30s, and he wrote all this stuff about agriculture. And oh. he was super into, like, energy and stuff. And okay. basically, like, he says the energy of the cosmos in the winter goes back into the soil, into the oh. seed. Yeah. And then all summer long, it expresses itself. Oh. And when that plant is growing again, or the trees are putting their leaves on and stuff. And I kind of feel like the same way. It's, like, right. all winter long, we kind of, like buckle down or whatever mm-hmm. and hibernate and yeah. then Trying in the summer we're just like out there just doing that makes stuff sense. it gets crazy as soon as it gets nice outside you see people just come out of nowhere with whatever it's crazy eh? yeah it's it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah so let's talk about this whole thing that you got going on on here man we're on a sweet farm how many miles out of town are we five miles five south miles. of red deer five miles south of red deer I didn't keep any sort of track. I was just driving. I'm like, I've been halfway here before, and I'll just look for. I remember that big sign, too. So I'm like, I can find that for sure. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so how did this all happen? Like, is was this like a family farm, or did you just like get into? Because you didn't always live out here, did you? Okay. No. So let's let's go right down to the 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 brass tacks of this whole thing. Okay. <laughs> Trying to think of the best place to start. Um, I was born at a very early age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I've been listening to your podcast this week, and I feel like this would be relevant to your theme, and maybe a, an Sweet. okay place to start. But you may not know this, Luke, but I grew up skateboarding. Yeah, I knew um, that. I did know that. There's a picture of me when I was like three, probably. We, we had a driveway. We li- I grew up on Oberlin Avenue in Oriel Park. Oh, okay. Oh, there's the church at the end yeah. of the street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we had a driveway, a little slope driveway. We were on the, whatever, the north side of that street, not the seats, not the side that backs onto the field there. Right. There's a picture of me when I'm three. I'm like, in shorts and a t-shirt, rubber boots, sitting on my dad's old plastic banana board, which oh, I still sick. have. And now my kids are ripping That's around sweet. on. I don't, you know, it's made it through yeah. hundreds of Alberta thunderstorms. And <laughs> 
just chilling outside. Oh, God, yeah. The amount of WD-40 that's gone into those wheels that's is awesome. measured in liters, I'm sure. Nice. Anyway, <laughs> I just feel like uh, that picture is so emblematic because now I live that rubber boot life more than that skateboard life. Yeah, no kidding. That's funny. I just grew no up way. on that board and then... The thing about skateboarding is it demands a personal discipline to learn a trick. It's like oh, yeah. nothing comes easily. In fact, everything comes hard. It's mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. we all bear the scars to show it. Yeah. And I feel like it's just the perfect metaphor for life. It's like if you want to achieve something great, you got to freaking work and make yeah. it through a bunch of pain and have <laughs> inner grit to make it. And... So anyway, there's a whole skateboarding history we can no, get totally into there, that, but for sure, that's sweet. But I feel like that's been pretty instrumental in kind of pursuing a career as a first-generation farmer. So no, this isn't family land. Yeah, we don't. They're none of my family farms. Wow. Uh, we rent oh, just over a thousand acres now. Okay. Um, so yeah. I guess I'll try to buzz through it as quick as possible and we can get on oh, to your good. other questions. Oh, but we got time, man. It's, like, it's all good. I went to comp, finished high school. I enjoyed school. Yeah. I went to university. Did you skateboard in high school? Yeah, I've oh, always skateboarded. Okay. That's the thing. I yeah. kept it up. Like that banana board graduated to like a cheap one kicktail. Nice. Flat Toys R Us board with like plastic bearings. Sweet. <laughs> but it was just as double kicktails were coming in, and I was just mortified by this board. It was so embarrassing. Oh, fair and, enough. Yeah, I have. So I remember too. breaking the trucks, and I just had it as like a flat deck. I'd go on my okay. friend's trampoline, yeah. and then I got uh, my first real deck. My dad took me down to Allrose when oh, it was down by Superstore, yeah. and got an Eternal blank deck with oh, nice. Mack trucks, and I think I, my buddy had a pair of pig wheels that Sweet. he gave me, and. That's a good setup, man. Yeah, Eternal it was, was such a good. sweet first setup. That's the first company that made salvation boards for me was Eternal. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. I I got the number from whatever the heck that dude's name was. I got it from Nora, and then I just Mike Pregnell, I think is his name. And I called there. I should have saved this. I don't know. I I'm the worst person for like keeping stuff that's pretty meaningful and then when i think about it later i'm like dang it oh like i had but i don't i don't know i had this dude i called eternal like on my home phone yeah left a message yeah and then like a couple or a week later or something he called me back and left a message on my answering machine kind of thing and i like played it and i'm like oh he said he wants to make the boards this will be sweet call me back whatever i'm like <laughs> no way so that was like pretty monumental and it was it's saved on a tape. On a tape, it's yeah. A, it, and I don't have that. I should have kept uh, that it. That would have been cool. But I was like 22 or something, so I had no idea. Yeah. Right? All that stuff. But anyway, that's sweet. That's where I bought my first board, too, was all rose at Superstore. Yeah. Pretty so I exciting time. So I rode that board until it was absolutely destroyed. Mm hmm And they were pretty good. They made some good stuff. Yeah. And from that point on, I always had a skateboard. I remember I had a World Industry Slick. Oh, yeah. Sweet. They're coming back out with slicks. Are now. they? Yeah. They have, like, uh, I don't know what company, but I've, the only ones I've seen are just the Ninja Turtle. But it's all the old toys. Like, all of oh. the old toys. Like, just on the bottom of the deck. And it's just Sweet. a collage of all the old toys. Yeah. just like, on a blank background with just, like, 
all the toys. Yeah. It's sweet. I was like, Dad, and I'm like, this is a slick, and I start scratching. Oh I'm like, no God. way. It seems like it's a bit thinner now, but anyway, yes, yeah, still. That thing was heavy. Yeah. yeah. Slick layer. little bit of a chunkier board. But, but uh, really. yeah, I don't know. I never really got, I never fa found, like, great buddies to skateboard with. So okay. it was always, like, a solo pursuit. Yeah. Um, and I remember, again, that, like, farmer skateboarder division, like, the rubber boots versus the banana board. I would, when the skate park was built, I would wake up at, like, 6 mm. on Saturday and strap my board to my backpack and ride my bike down. Sweet. I'd be there. All the farmers would be setting up their farmer's market stands, and yeah, I'd yeah. be out there. I'd have the park to myself nice, for, like, dude. three hours. <laughs> so fun. Anyway, now that's me getting up early to go peddle some meat but <laughs> yeah i kept it up and then um i don't know if i should be embarrassed by this phase of my life or not because i loved it so much as i got into longboarding i just like got way less motivated by landing tricks and just so excited just by cruising yeah the red deer trails are amazing oh, yeah. man like 100 clicks of perfectly paved trails amazing hills gnarly mm -hmm. curves mm -hmm. so you know just got into that and yep. it was just I just loved it. And then got, did some racing and oh, you did racing? sliding and yeah. Like actual racing? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I remember, frick, I was thinking of this last night. We did this one. Uh, we actually went for 24 hours. We did this like uh, really outlaw race in Calgary at 6 a.m. at Edworthy Park. No way. And then we went out, did a demo at the Soapbox Derby in Cochrane and then went out to Jameson Road. It's like between Cochrane and the reserve. Oh, okay. It's like pretty getting into the road. foothills. Yeah. And Be a pretty hectic road. We came back into Calgary and rode all night on the parkades and stuff. Sweet. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. That'd be fun. Anyway, it was fun. I don't do it. Anyway. That's okay. I don't hate on anybody. <laughs> besides, like, no. Even scooter kids, they're just misled for a little bit. Yeah. We'll figure it out one day. <laughs> if they had an iota of skate park etiquette, that would sure go along. Yeah, way. working on that trying to do actually i'm doing a thing with the city of or the town of sylvan next week to like talk about skate park etiquette oh. at the skate park so sweet yeah yeah so it's 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 starting to come yeah. around yeah but yeah they were pretty bad so then the, the longboarding evolved when i moved to ontario which we can get into in the farming part of the story okay. um i got into more pool riding and park riding oh, sick yeah. Could, at the vanderhoof skate park in toronto if any okay. of you ever go there it's a righteous park it's so sweet um and that was like the culmination of it all because it combined like the tricks of street skateboarding but the flow and surf style of longboarding and you could just cruise forever in that park without putting your foot down you know just all the transition and stuff so sweet. i'd say that's yeah. where i've ended up is nice big pool deck super tight super fast knee pads sweet and yeah go. That's um, that's my favorite thing too. We like the the coolest skate park I've ever been to, is um, in. It's on Orcas Island. Okay. It's out of Oregon. And it's just the it's a huge giant like full, cool skate park. Yeah, you have to Google it. There's like some serious. There's some pretty sick like clips from like in like Thrasher on it and yeah. stuff and. Usually, like, usually, uh, Tony was the guy that directed all of our skate park mission type thingies. Yeah. He'd, he'd always find the parks and we'd go to them and whatnot, but we were in, we were in, uh, 
somewhere in Seattle area. No, what the heck was this? Yeah, somewhere in there for a wedding. And he's like, okay, when we're done this wedding, we're gonna bounce over to this place and skate this park because it's epic. So I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. So we like got a car and ripped out there and it was crazy. Wow. <laughs> Just so, so big. Like being from Red Deer, there's nothing like that <laughs> we're even remotely used to. So it was pretty, in, it was pretty intense. Like there's like 12 foot like vert walls. And it's all concrete coping, yeah. everything just like, but yeah, the coolest park I've ever been to. I want to go back there one day and try it again. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, big okay. bowl, Ontario. Right. Yeah, skating, anyway. So, that's just kind of where I've ended up. Yeah. Um, I don't get out much anymore, but now I've got no. kids, and it's yeah. like, I want them to benefit from mm -hmm. skateboarding, and they're drawn to it. You know, I've oh, got sweet. these skateboards lying around yeah. that just, like, roll around, but surrounded by gravel so should you build the mini ramp yeah, i was just here, gonna man. say the mini ramp is the, the next the logical go. step It'd be yeah. the way to go just like make that thing cover it they said like depending on your budget they make wood now it's like a it's like a compressed plastic almost and it's like oh. built for skate parks so it doesn't oh. like absorb water yeah but you still have to like take care of it but it's like it's expensive it's called skate light oh and it's like masonite, but it's actually called skate light. Yeah. That's what the incline park in Sylvan is made with. Okay. And it's it's super durable. Like, I don't know how long it's been. Probably like, oh man, when we sheeted that, maybe like, oh, I'd like to say like four years. And it's still like pretty mint. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Okay, there's yeah, the hot tip you should do for it. all the DIY mini rampers out there. That's what I would do, but it's it is expensive, but you and you still have to like build it off ground, make sure you cover it because yeah. if it rains, it's not good still and blah blah blah. But you can make a mini ramp survive if you just take care of it. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one story I wanted to share about you is I remember when I was in grade 9, they had the first X games at Lindsay Thurber. Okay, sweet, yeah. And I was too ner I would I was too scared to compete in this skate competition but remember the uh there was that little set of stairs out by the 100 wing yeah and they put a, like a kink rail up there yeah I remember you doing like a 50-50 to board slide oh sweet and I was like oh my god this guy's <laughs> he must be sponsored <laughs> like this is amazing that's that always sweet. stood out to me. We were always like this older, like. Yeah, it would have been grade 11 okay. or something then. Yeah. 11 or 12. <laughs> yeah. That impressed me so much. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that X Games thing was fun. That's the only contest I've ever, like, won. Okay, got, you won. I got first place. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah I, that trick was worth it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I won a board, like a complete board and, like, a t-shirt or something. Yeah. But it was like, I won. Sweet. It was legit, too, because, like, Brett Riemann was the judge. And he's like, yeah. I asked him after because there was another kid that did like tried a really hard couple tricks and landed like one big one but so I was like I didn't think I would win because this guy just did this he's like but you landed everything like I actually uh. like I actually like got advice from my one buddy he's like just do all the tricks you can do yeah he's like why are you going right. to try hard shit yeah I'm like yeah I guess he's like just do Luke Bradley tricks I'm like all right sweet so I like 
went out and did like what did I do? I did a frontside flip in the cord pipe, which was like my last trick, which is pretty hard, but I had them kind of dialed in. Okay. And then I did like a couple other, just like 50-50 board slide, and no stall revert on the quarter pipe, and just a couple like, a couple tricks. Yeah. But I landed everything, so he's like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, okay, sweet. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I was pumped. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Different worlds. So, okay, I guess I can get into the farming side of things. Yeah, man. Now. So you finished high school. Yeah, I went to university for one year. Okay, it was like not. I would. I lacked maturity. Yeah. What were you thinking of taking? I was wanting to go into medicine. Awesome. I really liked oh, biology. Yeah. yeah. And just Come science and. Yes. But I was brutal, man. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so I. I finished that first year, but didn't go back. And I mm. took a couple of years to travel. I did the Katimovic program, which is an exchange program oh, for okay. nine months. You go around into three communities across Canada Wow! for three months each. And you're living in a house with 12 kids from across the country. Yeah. So you, what was it? Yeah. And then you volunteer full time. And then just do activities and stuff hmm. as a group on the weekend. So it's like cool. Yeah. Cultural exposure. One of the uh, three places is always in a francophone community. Which so is? So for a f kid from the prairies, that was pretty sweet. Like oh, we okay. spent time in Quebec and in northern New Brunswick, which is also French. Okay. Cool. In southern Ontario. Wow. So that was a cool experience for sure. Started to figure out kind of what was important to me yeah and i did it had a sister program called canada world youth and it was a similar idea this time it's a six-month program three months in canada three months in another country mm. and you live with a person from that other country with a host family in the community you're at oh nice so i spent three months in quebec again okay and then three months in burkina faso in west africa wow so that was a really yeah. eye-opening experience no too. kidding to be honest with you, that program, it felt like we were being groomed to be, like, the next generation of, like, international development workers. Oh, okay. And at the time, I don't know where they're at now, Burkina Faso, according to the UN, was the third least developed country in the world. Mm. And we could see that. It was, like, outside of the capital. Right. It's just, like, peasant lifestyle, man. No wow. electricity, getting water from a well. Uh, using animals to pull your plow and do all the work. And... Right. But what I saw was like people that were really closely connected with their families. Yeah. And their food. And they were happy. It was mm -hmm. like every day they were happy together. Right. And it was a stark contrast from what I saw every like Sunday morning on TV of just like world vision kids with flies and big distended bellies and yeah so i left there feeling like boy this is the last place that needs another white person coming in to oh, okay. tell them what to do and quote unquote develop their life yeah because like i came home and i just see people that are stressed out all the time and right yeah there's it... enough problems here so it kind of really reinforced the think global act local thing right yeah. So, anyway, 
then I got home from that and I was like, well, now what? I didn't have any clue. I didn't feel like I wanted to go back to university. All mm-hmm. I could see there was like a f- career in a lab. So Fair enough. That didn't appeal to me. Yeah. So I set a couple of goals. I'm like, well, if I'm not, if I can't figure out what I want to do with my life, I may as well build kind of capacity within myself. So I figured, what are two skills that any man would benefit knowing? And one would be to learn how to build your own house. Mm -hmm. One would be to learn how to grow your own food. Sweet. So one of those is a lot easier to pursue than the other. Absolutely. Because there's a, like a apprenticeship program. So I started a carpenter's apprenticeship. Nice. Yeah, that was in 04. And... Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, if I stick this out four years later, I'll be a journeyman carpenter and mm-hmm. I'll know how to build a house. Yeah. Whereas, like, learning how to grow food, it's, there's no it's curriculum life, life to follow. To, if you don't grow yeah. up in a family that does that, it's like, where do you learn? Yeah. So I did my first year carpenter's apprenticeship in Red Deer. And if you'll recall, in 04, 05, it was like boom time. Oh, yeah. Red Deer was crazy. Super crazy. And... To be honest, I did. I was really drawn to like the craft side of the trade, and mm-hmm. it felt very. And to be fair, I didn't. I lacked the vision that I now have to understand the importance of production in the trade. But at the time, it felt really production focused. Like it was oh, just like get this done, slap this up, exactly. Bam, 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 bam. And I wasn't yeah. like learning the trade it felt like so i did my first year no worries we're good all right okay so anyway <laughs> i hate this happens so you're in ontario you find a herd yeah from this. the skateboarder dude at the skate park yeah that's cool you guys buy a herd together Bought a herd together he that's had a so farm up there yeah um so yeah then i came back to alberta and did olds college yeah did we miss that yeah we missed that okay so i took olds college feel like that's important because i love what's called pretty so awesome much. yeah so uh yeah i came back in the fall of 2010 to take the meat processing program which is four months long and the olds college is one of two schools that in the world that teaches uh the art of slaughter okay the other is denmark they yeah. graduate 800 butchers a year that's so insane and that uh, is so insane. i was in a class with 10 other people so it was so cool <laughs> because you're learning how to handle an animal pre-slaughter low-stress yep. livestock handling and then the actual stunning and sticking of the animal mm. the evisceration and yeah. skinning and splitting and washing and, and then like the next day you're making sausage and it's just a beautiful thing yeah so Super that fresh right yeah and just empowering yeah um freaky to a lot of people that that's what happens though i feel like right? yeah 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 but like we were just talking about it's like uh our grandparents generation that was a part of life Mm -hmm. you know it was like Mm -hmm. we'd all get together for the hog killing day or the chicken killing day and it was like a solemn celebration yeah like something was gonna die so that we could live but hey we got food out of the deal Mm -hmm. so we better do a good job we'd better use the whole animal we'd better do it quickly yeah and then it's justified yeah and so when it's part of our culture that way, it's like everyone's exposed to it. Everybody knows how to do it. And over the last couple generations, as we've become more and more industrialized, especially in our food system, that's all gone behind closed doors. Yeah. You know, we 
like butcher is not a trade in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's not a red seal thing. There's 50 some trades in Alberta and it's not one of them. In Europe, it's a seven year apprenticeship. I took a four month certificate program at Olds College. That's crazy. Like, what do you think more they would teach you in seven years? Oh, it'd be like, there's just like that whole cultural piece to an apprenticeship. Like I'm sure that whole first year you're just yeah. cleaning the shop and trimming meat. Right. And then as you get older, you might be allowed to start learning how to tie roasts and right. cut steaks. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, almost like a, kind of like an art too, right? Like you gotta know what to look for. It's not like, this is a piece of wood. Cut this at an angle. Bam, bam, bam. Kind of. Like, it's not like laid out, right? Like, yeah. you kind of have to have an eye for it too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel like that piece is in any trade. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. learn from a master builder. It's like, yeah, this piece of wood's at an angle, but it's like, why is it at this yeah, angle? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How does that fit into the plan? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I feel like we've done a disservice to ourselves because now that harvest happens behind closed doors like you drive by ollie mel yeah where's the friggin windows you know there's yeah. thousands of pigs that go through there every day we are completely sheltered from it and as a result we become death phobic yeah and that allows <coughs> veganism to express itself mm -hmm. it's like i think that's just a symptom of a society that's scared of death but you're never off the hook for death in fact on the northern prairie it's like this is a landscape that in order to foster as much life as possible yeah yields meat it's like no mm -hmm. different than the ocean that yields fish yeah it's like this grassland is an inland sea that yields nutrient dense delicious flesh for us to eat yeah absolutely yeah. if we eliminate the animals that we eat from the landscape in favor of a plant-based landscape we lose all this biodiversity like the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ton all the like from the micro biota in the soil all the way up to the deer that fawn on this place and all the nesting birds that all disappears yeah yeah i guess if you look out across the road essentially to that flat field that's over there yeah <laughs> like it's very different yeah right yeah yeah so anyway i when yeah just the one thing i want to say about the vegan thing is which we missed here is like in the 70s, 2% of the population were vegetarians. Yeah. And it's about the same now. Yeah. So what that tells me is it's not a growing trend. It's mm -hmm. a phase in people's lives. Right. And I went through it. I was a vegetarian for a year. It's like, I like vegetarians. They're asking the right questions about their food. And they've got the courage to do something about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> but as they're doing that, they're continuing to ask questions. And what we're finding now with our business is... Um, we're kind of waiting at the other end of that journey mm -hmm. because they're asking questions about animal welfare, ecosystem health, climate change and carbon and um, nutrition. And we're able to check off all those boxes for them. So yeah. we've got an increasing amount of, I just jokingly call them reformed vegans, <laughs> uh, buying meat from our farm. Nice. And it is nice. It's cool. I th yeah, like it's cool because you can go you can go online, like we said, search Prairie Gold Meats, type in there, be like, hey, this looks good. I think I'll <laughs> order something here, and then it's like, oh sweet, there's a tour. You can come out and have a look at the thing that you're possibly gonna gonna buy. Like you could, you know, come to the store and look at it before you buy it, and not just go and see the finished product, yeah. right? That's the that's cool. I think that's that's getting popular. 
which is good for business for you, obviously. I think it's getting more mainstream that people are like, oh, okay, why are we dying? <laughs> why are we eating this? We don't know where this came from, right? Like, there's no, there's no real connection with your food anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's tricky, because from the farmer's perspective, like... God, in the 70s, there were big agricultural policies that went in to incentivize economies of scale. They told farmers, get big or get out. Okay. And that's exactly what's happened. They told farmers to farm fence row to fence row. Right. So we've seen, like, so many sloughs drained and filled. Mm. We've seen so many little bluffs of trees bulldozed. Yeah. So that bigger and bigger equipment can come in. Oh. And it's not... And it's so these farmers can grow commodities, not food. They're not concerned about... Well, they're not thinking about the, the members of their community that they're trying to feed. Right. They're thinking about the, like, 3% of the food dollar that they're actually getting. Like, the tiny little fraction that they're actually getting. The thin, thin, razor-thin margin that they're operating in. It's like, Is it just, that bad? It's terrible, man. No way. Yeah. Hmm. I just saw this thing. It was in the 60s, farmers made 38 cents for every food dollar... And now it's eight. Eight cents. Yeah. Oh my god. So I feel bad for my like conventional commodity farming counterparts because God it's It's so expensive to do. That's the, the crazy thing. You see these dudes, like the big time farmer type dudes, and they have like all this like like the equipment is crazy expensive. It's crazy. And they all have like I don't know, I've been to some farms that I used to haul feed. For oh, master okay. feeds yeah back in the day and like you go to the farm and like this house is balling <laughs> they got like the brand new f-350 yeah. or whatever it is and i'm like man these guys got to be rich or something but i'm pretty sure it's all just on credit or or they're doing good and it's like generationally maybe everything's paid off or something but that's some tight margins to operate on yeah that's super crazy i didn't know that yeah i just heard hmm. this saying michael paulin he said um what is it? We live in a country where there's very wealthy farmers growing cheap food and very poor farmers growing expensive yeah, food. Yeah, right. So anyway, where were we? So I did butcher course. Yeah. And then it was time to move back to Alberta. I've always loved Alberta. I knew when I left that I wanted to come back. I had originally only planned on moving to Ontario for that six-month internship, and right. I had stayed for five years. So I moved back in January 2011. I hired a trucker. He trucked all my cattle out, That's which is pretty crazy. So it was 30 hours on the truck from Sault Ste. Marie to Winnipeg, and then they unload. Yep. They get fed and watered there. Then they load it up again and then came out to Alberta. So I was out in Castor. I've got some friends that have a farm out there, and they had enough land right. that they could accommodate my herd, and they had a butcher shop on the farm. And that's when Prairie Gold Pastured Meat started. Hmm. Um so yeah just like been a whirlwind since then kind of hey like yeah it's intense <laughs> yeah it has been man so, so i guess so you brought the cows here yeah and that's kind of like those are all that's kind of like where it all started yeah. and now it's just the babies of them and yeah all that stuff yeah, basically. So yeah. there's the mother cows. Mm -hmm. 
they have babies each year. Half of them are heifer calves yep. and half of them are bull calves. Yeah. So those bull calves we castrate, yeah. they become steers and they, when they're two years old, they go into the herd share program to get butchered for meat. Okay. And for many years, those heifers, we would retain and they would become cows. When they were two, they would get bred. Okay. When they were three, they would have a calf. And so mm. that's how we grew our cow herd. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, that first year I had seven beef to butcher, which isn't very much. Yeah. And, uh, so we started it like any other business. You start it's by peddling small. it to yeah. your friends and family and just <laughs> word of mouth. And yeah. so we started this herd share program because I would, I f still feel very strongly about the right to harvest an animal on the farm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we started this herd share program to kind of work within the legal framework in Alberta. So we figured if we were selling the animals live to our customers, and they contracted us to fatten them and butcher them yeah. on their behalf, Yeah. then we were operating in the private realm and we were legal. Mm -hmm. And the reason there's questions of legality is because if you're harvesting an animal in the field, there's no meat inspector there. Oh, so you're in the realm of uninspected meat. And yeah. the sale of uninspected meat in Alberta is illegal. Okay. And every province. That Although there's some, there's some yeah. pro, um, provisions in BC and Saskatchewan and Manitoba that make it legal, but Alberta has the most stringent meat inspection regulations. Oh, that's good. I think because the big packers are here, yeah. they've got quite a bit of influence. All right, okay. So, anyway, so we did the search share program and we were harvesting all the animals in the field and we were processing them in that butcher shop on the farm there. And anyway, long story short is we've had to stop doing that we kind of got we didn't get warned but there's another farm that modeled a herd share program after ours okay and they were marketing a little more overtly than we were the right. fact that they were field killing their beef and um they got a warning from the government and oh. so did our butcher so Ooh. okay uh, so anyway now we take our beef to an inspected facility to be harvested yeah. okay it's second best for sure. Right. So here's the thing. It's like when you're talking about uninspected meat, it raises questions of food safety, right? That's yeah. the concern that the government has for the public, which is why we have the Meat Inspection Act in the first place. It's like the government's responsibility is to make sure that the meat that's sold at the grocery store is safe to eat, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the, the first line of food safety is in production. Yeah. So if you're cramming these animals into unsanitary pens filled with their own manure and mud mm -hmm. and putting all these additives in their feed oh, yeah. to make them grow at twice the rate, yeah. um, you're compromising that food safety. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a reactive policy in Alberta. It's like, okay, we can take these production shortcuts so that we can yield a product sooner and cheaper, yeah. but we need to make sure it's safe on the processing side of things. So like 80% of the livers in brooks are condemned like oh, no not way. fit to eat wow yeah hmm. but for us because we've removed ourselves from that commodity system yeah we're able to set our own price yeah we've cut out all the middlemen so that price is comparable with the grocery store price mm -hmm. and we're selling to a group of discerning consumers in red deer that want a product that is healthy is safe yeah um so what's my point Here's an example. <laughs> when you feed grain to cattle, cattle are ruminants. They've got a rumen. 
Okay. They the rumen is there to digest grass. Okay. The pH in a rumen is neutral. It's seven. Okay. So what happens? We hear about E. coli, right? Yes. Hamburger disease. Yes. So E. coli exists naturally in the rumen as is. Okay. So in a natural system where that pH is seven, there's E. coli in there. Yeah. So let's say that E. coli is in the manure of that animal. They crap, some of it lands on their tail. Mm -hmm. They swish their tail, it gets on their hide. Mm -hmm. They're in the butcher shop. The butcher's right. not being totally careful. Some of that hide touches the meat. Mm -hmm. The carcass doesn't get washed properly. Yeah. The meat's cut up. There's still that trace of manure on there with E. coli in it, right? Right, yeah. That, let's say then, that that particular cut is put into a meat grinder and turned into hamburger. Mm -hmm. And then let's say you get home after a long day of work, you're starving, you're like so famished, so you cook your hamburger, but you don't cook it all the way through. Right. You're exposing yourself to that E. coli at this point. Right. That's bad. But <laughs> we have an acidic stomach. Yeah. And E. coli affects us in the small intestine, mm -hmm. the duodenum. So that bite of hamburger, that E. coli is going to go into your stomach and the acid in your stomach is going to kill it and you won't feel a thing. Okay. You'll feel full. You'll yeah. feel great. Yeah. And sure. you'll go to work the next day and right. you'll feel awesome. Yeah. So what happens is we put these cattle into the feedlots, we pound the grain to them, mm -hmm. and that actually turns their rumen acidic. Oh, and so over, you know, thousands and millions of iterations, you start seeing a strain of E. coli emerge, E. coli 0157H7, which is the one we always hear about when there's an E. coli outbreak, okay. which yep. causes hamburger disease. Yeah. So it's evolved to live in a pH of 2. So uh -huh. let's lay out that same chain of events. This time you get home, you eat your hamburger undercooked, your stomach acid doesn't kill it, it gets into your small intestine, or okay. worse, your kids, and then they get kidney failure and they're yeah. in the friggin' hospital. It's yeah. like, talk about a man-made disease. Mm -hmm. like, so this is what I mean yeah. when we're talking about production is the first line of food safety. Yeah. Same with BSE, mad cow disease, all this stuff. So by slowing down, taking two years to fatten our animals on grass, we don't, we could, we don't have to take any of those shortcuts. Right. And that's how we feel confident eating meat that we've harvested in the field, in our own home, and then feel confident having members of our community feed it to their families as yeah. well. Okay. It's like, why would we kill an animal that's sick? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's no, like, for sure. That'll happen once and yeah. then I'll be out of business. Yeah. So my point is that there should be some provision, I think, in our meat inspection laws that allow for an on-farm harvest. And there is in BC and Saskatchewan and Manitoba, like I said, and throughout the states. Yep. Um, and where's the public health crisis? It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Especially now because we have these consumers that want that, you know? Yeah. They want animals that are harvested in the most humane way possible, which yeah. is like in the field, you know, on the farm that literally yielded them. Like the right. soil turned into grass, turned into tiny little baby calves mm -hmm. that grew into big fat steers to eat. Yeah. Oh, well, it's awesome. It's like a nice full circle. Right? Yeah. Like everything is. <laughs> so, okay, I got a couple questions. Yeah, that was um, a big tangent. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I was trying to think. So, this probably is a stupid question. So, you could eat a ham, like hamburger from you, like medium, 
Then you can eat, eat it raw, to, man. When I'm raw. making sausage, no I'm way. sampling the spicing to make sure it's right when it's in the grinder raw. Oh, no way. Yeah. Like okay. steak tartare. Oh, never had that. It's just like raw meat. Is that what tartare stands for? I'm not sure what tartare stands for. I've heard a lot of them cooking terms, and I'm like, oh, that just means it's not cooked all the way through, <laughs> like al dente. Yes. I'm like, that just means it's like hard in the middle in your pasta. You, that's you could have a burger al dente from us and not oh, worry about it. That's awesome. <laughs> I've also heard this argument from people that if, um, if it's grass-fed and grass-finished, that's not as good as if it was grass-fed and grain-finished. But if you now, from what I heard you just say, that if you grain finish, you have more of a risk, technically. Yeah, Is I that, mean, all beef, like Alberta beef, stuff at the grocery store would be grass fed and grain finished. Right. That's okay. the conventional supply. Because gotcha. that little baby calf spends its first year with its mom yeah. out on pasture eating grass. Yeah. Then it goes into typically a backgrounding feedlot where mm -hmm. it would be fed a ration of silage and hay and maybe some grain. Yeah before it gets sent to a finishing feedlot mm -hmm. where it's fed an increasing amount of grain in its ration. What's that timeline like? Uh, 14 to 16 months okay. would be the age of the conventional beef when it's butchered. Okay. Ours are 28. That's, yeah, that seems like it's a lot better. Well, it's different. Mm -hmm. It takes twice as long, right? Yeah. So the proponents of the conventional beef industry would say well that's twice as long that they're belching out methane you know we're doing the planet a service by keeping their lifespan short but by like <laughs> growing is huge... that a real thing you think no i think it's like the classic <laughs> case of reductionist thinking yeah it's like the we're gonna go down another rabbit hole let's here. do this dude okay. no it's super I'm super intrigued because I don't know I don't know enough about this stuff. I know, so like, we bought your product a few years ago. And I'm like, this is freaking good. And then we rebought it again because I'm like, there's so much more merit to this like grass fed, grass finished thing than I ever would have thought about before. Oh wow, thank you. You know, like it's. Just, like, as I've gotten a bit older and hopefully more wise, I've been like, you know what? It makes more sense to, like, know what I'm eating. That's why I want to start hunting, too. It's like, okay, like, that that to me seems pretty legit. Like, there's obviously those deer out there that eat grain from wherever, you know, the fields and they're a pest. But there's so much more merit to, like, know where your food is coming from and just to see, like... There's so much, many more factors, too, that I never even considered, like the stress-free living and all that stuff. That's, like, that seems just, like, to make way more sense to me. And the product, the end product is easily, like, tastefully better. Like, you can, you can totally see the difference. Even how it cooks. It's crazy. So let's touch on the taste thing for a sec, and then we'll dial, dive down a different rabbit hole. Okay. So the problem with taste with like you heard that grass-fed grain mm. finished beef is better mm -hmm. it's like sure to some people it is the problem with taste is it's totally subjective yeah and we can all acquire taste it's like if you eat something seven times you're training your mouth to favor that flavor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in north america we we value tenderness above all else that's what our beef production is all about okay that's the gold standard right. tenderness and when you go out for a meal, 
for a steak dinner. You say, oh, that was such a good steak. It was so nice and tender, right? Right, yeah. And so it, well, as a result, we've sacrificed flavor. We butcher these animals that are basically veal. They're a little bit older. It's okay. baby beef. Yeah. Virtually flavorless. Um, and so we've become a barbecue sauce nation. And that's fine. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's fine. That's yep. like, as long as we know it. Oh, yeah. Everybody so knows that. there's this book written by this guy, Mark Schatzker. He's a writer for the Globe and Mail called Steak. And he spent three years oh. traveling around the world, searching for the world's tastiest piece of beef. Hmm. And you know what the worst steak on earth he had was? It's a grass-fed steak. No way. And you know what the best steak he had on earth was? Somewhere in California. A grass-fed steak. Really? Yeah. Weird. He never did have a good feedlot steak. Okay. He always graded them a C. It's like the first burst of... The first bite had a burst of flavor, and after that it was like just a pulp. Right. When you take salt and barbecue sauce out of the equation that's yeah. what you're left with yeah it's just mush hmm. sure it's tender but tender mush the worst steak he had was in texas really that's he said it tasted like livery swamp water and the best steak he had was in uh the highlands of scotland oh and it actually happens fairly early in the book and he dedicates this whole part of the chapter going into like the history of food writing and how we try to describe how things taste to try to find the words to describe how goddamn good this steak was <laughs> awesome. so then he spends the rest of the book trying to figure out how what made that steak so good was it the type of cow was it the feed they were eating right when what he finds out is that it's how mineralized the soil is oh okay and it kind of makes sense so let's tie it back to alberta now we know alberta beef is a thing it was a thing before leduc number one was ever drilled Okay, yeah. And it's because the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains are some of the most highly mineralized soils on earth. Hmm. And so the cattle, the cowboys that came out here back in the day didn't know that, but they knew when they sent their cattle out to graze in the summer, they'd come back like 300 pounds heavier and just shaking with fat. Like it was Sweet. just like magic. It's a good day. And that's what gave Alberta yeah. beef its reputation. It wasn't okay. this feedlot system that we have now. It's like, it's yeah, the grass and that's sure. our first, well, wow. the soil is our first natural resource. Anyway, okay, so. Point is, is that there's nuance and it's uh, tricky. Mm -hmm. There's skill that goes into producing a grass finished beef that actually tastes outstanding. Mm -hmm. And so that's our primary goal. Mm -hmm. So hearing what you said earlier about our beef makes me feel good. It's awesome. Like <laughs> I get like, a, it's funny cause I was talking to a dude um, about doing the podcast and I said I was gonna interview you and that this is what you do. And he said, a friend of mine, you might be like, oh, what? This is not cool. He, like, he's doing it kind of on his own mm -hmm. on a farm. Like, he had, like, two cows, and he butchers them. He, like, took the course, butchers them okay. himself, whatever. He's just out by Sylvan. And he, and my buddy said, he's like, I didn't think it was that good. He's like, the, the ground beef was good, but the steak wasn't as good. And I think it's probably because of just the, the diet that he's had probably up to this point where now he's had something like this. And it's just different, yeah. right? It's different than the, like the McDonald's hamburger burger or the Wendy's burger yeah. or the Costco ground beef yeah. or whatever, what have you, right? Like it's all, it's all different. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I feel like it's just, I don't know, it's not like refined. It's like, it's almost like re-refining your taste buds to like know what's up. 
essentially. Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're hardwired to know good when we taste it. Oh, for sure. So I work as a mobile butcher. Eh? One day a week, I go butchering beef on other people's farms okay. for them. Like mm -hmm. You can still heart field kill beef if it's for your own consumption. Okay. Anyway, so I got trained on this. And then you can give that away. And no, that would still be. No, oh, you can't do that. No. Oh, okay. Man, it's like the laws are really tight. Like mm. technically, because we rent this ranch, we yep. shouldn't even be able to eat our own beef because we don't own the land. Oh, really? It's crazy. Anyway. That seems dumb. But my point is, is there's a lot of crappy beef out there. Yeah. So, grass finishing beef, it's a three-legged stool. And if you take one of the legs away, you're going to end up with crappy beef. Right. So, genetics, yeah. nutrition, mm. and management. If you're compromising on one of those three things, then you're going to end up with yeah. a steak that's going to give grass-fed beef a bad reputation. Yeah. So that would be my first guess with your buddy there that's raising his own. Is maybe he just got some conventional cows out of the auction mart and they yeah, were never going to sure. thrive on grass. I'm not sure. Anyway. That's interesting though. So, so you, you didn't like your initial cows, did you like vet them out and be like, okay, these ones are, these are the ticket cows, yeah. man. Okay. Okay. So you knew. So like, I guess, yeah. Obviously they must have been decent for you to like ship them all the way here. Right. Yeah, because like there's cows in Alberta. There's I've tons seen of them. cows. I've seen them on the way out here. Actually, yeah. I was like, oh, there's some wild animals. But uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You ready for a little history lesson? Yeah, let's do okay, it. Okay, so back in the day, the people that lived on the British Isles, yeah, they use horses as draft animals. So they use horses to do all their field work, pull their plows and their wagons and stuff. Mm -hmm. On in continental Europe. Mostly they used oxen as draft animals. Okay. So the role of the cow in their society was different. Okay. In continental Europe, they needed an animal that would grow to be very big, very strong, have lots of heavy grain muscle, lots of connective tissue, heavy bone structure to pull a plow. Mm. And so they would, the mother cow would have a calf. If it was a son, they would castrate it and raise it until he was like five. Okay. And older, yeah. and train them to pull a plow. Right. Or they would knock it on the head and eat it as veal. Okay. And so if you open a French cookbook, it's like, what do you see? You see lots of braising, lots of stewing, lots of dairy, because mm -hmm. they would milk the mother cows. They were dual purpose, draft animals and dairy. Okay. And so they need, to, when they're butchering an old ox, it's like, you're not going to grill that on the barbecue to medium rare and yeah. enjoy it. It's going to be tough. So you need mm -hmm. to braise it or stew it to yeah. make it tender. In Britain, they used the beef or the cows served the, they were dual purpose again for dairy and beef. And their role was to convert poor quality forage into meat and fat. And so that yielded okay. a completely different animal, much smaller frame, thin boned, fine grain muscle. Yeah. Um, so when beef cattle first came to North America, those are the breeds that were brought over, the Hereford, the Angus, the Shorthorn, okay. because they were good eating and they could convert cactus thorns into fat or sagebrush or okay. pine needles or whatever there was to whatever. eat. And okay. they wouldn't yield a decent eating experience. Oh, okay. So after the Second World War, they had figured out how to make uh, synthetic nitrogen using the Haber-Bosch process to make bombs. Okay. So they took natural gas to turn it into nitrogen gas. Right. Which 
if you drive out by Joffrey, there's a ton of that happening. Yep. Transplant and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's like all the nutrient places that are making fertilizer. They're on that same natural gas pipeline. Okay. Anyway. And so what they realized after the war is they could put this synthetic nitrogen on the ground and it was like friggin' pixie dust. It's yeah. like, holy crap, <laughs> look at these crops. This right. is amazing. And so for the first time ever, it became cheaper to put cattle into a feedlot and feed them grain than it was to pasture them on marginal land. They could work up that marginal land, put this fertilizer on and grow amazing crops. Right. Okay. And so that was really the genesis of the feedlot industry. And it wasn't until kind of the 70s that it started to really get momentum. Yeah. So here was the problem, is they'd put these traditionally good eating breeds, in air quotes, the Angus, the Hereford, the Shorthorn, yeah. um, into these feedlots, and they would just get fat. They wouldn't grow any bigger. They would turn them into ruminant hogs. And so they'd butcher this Angus, be like 800 pounds, okay. and yeah. it would have like four inches of fat on the back. So it was just waste. The butcher mm. would have to trim all that off and throw it away. Yeah. So they started putting these continental breeds in. So yep. there was this big exotics craze in the 70s and 80s. So they started bringing in the Simmental, the Limousine, the Charolais, these mm -hmm. oxen breeds, these big framed animals. Okay. And when you feed those animals <coughs> grain, there's enough energy in there that they grow and they grow and they grow in a short time frame where they can still yield a decent eating experience. Right. So look at it from a butcher's perspective. If you're going to take apart a side of beef, it's basically the same amount of knife strokes to take it apart, whether it weighs 500 pounds on the rail or it weighs 900 pounds on the rail. Mm. So which beef carcass are you going to want to butcher? The heavy one. Yeah. So that's the way the whole industry went. They started to pay a premium for these bigger and bigger animals. Right. And so that's where we're at. Even the Hereford and the Angus, all these British breeds had to respond to, to stay relevant. So they started breeding bigger and bigger bulls okay. um, to their cows and ending mm. up with... So now some of the biggest bulls on the, in the world are Hereford bulls. Okay. Which, like, back in the day, yeah. the winner at the at the cattle show, like, you could see his belt buckle over the back of his Hereford bull. Like, they were tiny. Oh, yeah, okay. So my point is, is most of the genetics that can fatten on grass, that can convert poor quality forages into meat and fat have been lost right because the feedlot industry has made them irrelevant until mm. now so yeah we've that herd we originally got are small type animals the mature cows are small yeah they yield a high percentage of their body weight right and their offspring will fatten beautifully on grass and yield an eating experience that is worthwhile hmm anyway there you go. There's a little That's history lesson. Awesome. <laughs> See, like, you know what? So many people eat Alberta beef and know nothing about no. any of this. No. I don't know. Like, and you don't, you don't ever really have to ask the question because not a lot of people are, are getting sick off it. Like, of course, yeah. But the system works, man. If you look at generally people, I don't know, people, I think people generally around here are kind of unhealthy, though. Just because of the diet. I'm just going to go out and say that. Because, yeah. like, look at, like, you look at all the, all the big wig type dudes. I'm not going to try to throw anybody under the bus here. But, like, you look at those dudes and they sit down for, like, the 30-ounce steak and whatever. I'm just like, dude, that seems like too much. And they're just, like, big, big dudes. And it's like, man, 
I don't know. If I was eating something that's like a large quantity like that, you'd want to know a little bit about it, you know? Yeah. And no, nobody just, I don't know, nobody cares. Nobody wants to waste their time finding that stuff out. And it's pretty valuable, man. Like, eating is like everything. Your whole, your whole life is basically almost <laughs> around, okay, what am I going to do for nourishment? Because if I don't have this, I'm going to die. And somehow we've made it this far on like the standard American diet, which I don't necessarily agree that it's a good thing, yeah. especially with all the grains and all that shit. It's not, I don't think it's good for you overall. Have you heard about this carnivore diet thing? I have, okay. yeah. What do you think about that? Like, <laughs> it's know. good for business, I guess, if people around here are like, yep. It's true, we are getting a few carnivores no, no that way. are buying meat from it's us like now. It's like full on, that's what all they eat. Full on, man. Wow. I've sold a pretty sizable order into Calgary to a guy hmm. who's a raw carnivore. <laughs> I guess, like, if you're eating your stuff, then you're all good. That seems risky, it seems though. seems crazy. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen him? Does he look like a healthy dude? He looks like a healthy dude, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Lots of people are benefiting hugely from what I've heard. Like, odd, like people have, like, autoimmune disorders yeah. and stuff, and they're, they're getting, like, healthy just eating steak. So... I'll be curious to see how it plays out because anybody that switches their diet reports the same things. It's yeah. like, I tried this. It was amazing. Look at me now. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, how much of that is from cutting out the crap? Oh, yeah. I think the withdrawal of the bad of stuff. Yeah. It's like, okay, I want to, I'm be curious to see the people that are still doing it in two years and reporting the same. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that are. So I'm paying attention to it. Nice. But, yeah. I don't know. We'll it's very see. interesting. We'll see. Yeah. I'm I'm not a carnivore. As you can see, I'm eating pretzels right now. Yeah, I love pretzels. And these are dried beets? I think so, yes. What it looks like. Yeah. It tastes like. They taste like it too. Super awesome, man. So, so I think it's cool. What about the you're not doing the pork thing anymore? No. What happened? Okay. So when we started we did beef and pork. I was every, looking forward to bacon. Every year we grew. Um uh, after Castor, we moved to Red Deer. We were renting a piece of land out by Joffrey. Two pieces of land, one for the pigs, one for the cows. Okay. Living in Red Deer, grinding it out, trying to make it work. Um, we were noticed. I was selling some cattle on Kijiji, of all places. Okay. And there was a buyer that was interested. They came out to look at them. They wanted to buy them. And then they said, we've also got a ranch that we'd like you to come and manage. Oh, no way. Which was huge for us, because we're living in town, commuting out to this farm. Like, it's yeah. just brutal. It's hectic. So we felt like we were... Anyway, that's when we came to Tamara Ranch. That was in 2012. Okay. That happened. 2013, mm -hmm. we moved out here. Nice. Um, so the... This will be a roundabout way to getting to the pigs. That's cool. I yeah, no, let's do it. But yeah, basically the landowners at Tamara Ranch, in the 90s, they could see that this get big or get out thing I was talking about earlier wasn't working. It's yeah. like they could just see that they were going to have to go further and further into debt, grow bigger and bigger, and their quality of life was going to suffer. Yeah. So they sold all their machinery. They sold their entire place back to grass, and they just focused on grazing cattle. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. and over the last three decades, they've seen the reemergence of native species. They've seen the topsoil get deeper, um, an improvement of the overall ecosystem function, 
an improvement in their profitability and their quality of life. Right. So they're in their 70s. They want to retire. Mm -hmm. Land is so damn expensive. Oh, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's a huge barrier to young producers that want to buy into farming, but it's also a barrier to the, these farmers that want to sell out. It's right. like, who can find a successor with $6 million? Yeah. Or the ability to borrow that much. Yeah. It's like pretty tricky. Is that about what you're, what you're looking That's at what here? That's Ranch, this Six home half. place, yeah. Two and a half quarters. It's insane that That's... it would be worth that much. So they knew yes. they could sell it. Yeah. And retire as millionaires. Loop moved to town. Mm -hmm. but, but they knew the first thing that would happen would all, all the trees here would get bulldozed. Oh, yeah. And then all the grass would get sprayed out. And then it would be sown to canola. Yeah. So, so they kind of view the... This place is like the soil here is their legacy. Mm. Like they would much oh, rather that's... retire on the farm. Yeah. And con yeah, continue to see um, the place be productive and support agriculture. And, that's super cool. And for us, we needed. We knew that we could not afford land because it's so expensive. Yeah. Land rent is still inherently tied to pr to production value. So okay. our yeah. business works on rented land very well. Yeah. So we just needed stable land access. So it was a good marriage. So we moved mm -hmm. here. We moved all our cattle and our pigs here. Sweet. Over time, however, <laughs> the landowner didn't like the pigs. Oh, okay. Pigs, if you leave them somewhere too long, they can be destructive. Oh, yeah. They have a plow on the end of their nose. They're invasive species, right? Wow. Is that the word? Wild pigs are, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Domesticated pigs are easy to control with a one single electric hot wire. Mm. Anyway, long story short is landowner didn't doesn't want pigs here. Okay. So we've gotten out of pigs. Although I'll point out that the most productive places on the ranch now are the places where the pigs were. That gentle no massage way. they give to the soil. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's just like introducing air or what. But Weird. Yeah. yeah. So that's super interesting. Yeah. I would expect our days of producing pigs are not over, but for the time being, they're on hold. So, they live right over there. Yeah. Have they been out and looked at it and been like, or have you, have you, have you tried to make a point of saying, on your left, <laughs> is where, which this is my right hand, on your left, <laughs> you can see where the pigs were. I have. And yeah. look at the flora and fauna of the <laughs> ground, right? Like, yeah. That's funny. I have tried that. That's super dope, though, that they didn't want to just sell out. Yeah. Like, that's a great, that's a great marriage. It's almost, I don't know. I don't like the word rent, almost, when you're, not like how you're saying it, but, like, it, you guys are in, like, kind of, like, a partnership because they just want to see it go to a good cause, almost. Yeah. Like, go to good hands. It's like giving your dog away to a nice person. <laughs> it's like... And they're still involved in it. Like, it's cool that you, like, you obviously have to pay to, to be anywhere. But it's kind of like a good partnership that you got with these people, it seems like. Are you guys totally, pretty, man. pretty close and they come over for dinner and yeah, hang yeah. out? You guys are pretty yeah. chill. Communication nice. is key yeah. for this whole thing working. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. So, getting back to the very beginning question of, like, would I, the, you know people first generation farmers getting into it it's like yeah there's opportunity because 
I hear from more elderly farmers that are looking for young farmers to come take over their farm mm -hmm. than young farmers looking for farms. Mm. Average age of farmers is 60. Yeah. This landowner was born in 1945. From 1945 to 1960 is a cohort of people called the baby boomers. Yeah. So we're um, at the front end of the baby boomers retiring out of agriculture. Okay. So in the next 15 years, we're going to see the largest transfer of land ownership in peacetime ever. Wow. And what that looks like is unknown because there's a lot of good environment of good like stewards of the land out there mm -hmm. regardless of what they're producing whether they're conventional organic whatever the fact is they care about the land right and i'm concerned that we may lose a lot of good land stewards mm. what we're seeing in saskatchewan now especially saskatchewan's interesting because they were quite protectionist for a long time you couldn't own land in saskatchewan unless you were a saskatchewan resident okay and that changed, I think, under Premier Brad Wall. Basically, okay. he just opened it up. You can be a foreign landowner. So now you see all these Chinese investment funds buying up huge swaths of land. Hmm. The Canadian Pension Plan, Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund, put together these huge funds. They buy up all this land, and then they rent it out yearly. Oh, I so see. So if you're a farmer, if you're a conventional grain farmer, yeah. you're, you've got these huge machines that are costing big bucks oh they're huge you've got all this fancy pedigree genetically modified seed and then all the sprays and fertilizers to put on top of it your expenses are very high oh yeah so you get an extra quarter of land to farm this year great thank god mm -hmm. it's like maybe that's going to increase my gross margin and my costs on my machinery aren't going to go up other than fuel yeah great i get this piece of land for one year Where's the incentive to steward it? It's like, I'm going to... rape and pillage Exactly. That sucker, I'm yeah. going to mine the soil as best mm. as I can. Yeah. It's like, where does that leave us as a society? Mm. It leaves us with a broken carbon cycle. Mm -hmm. All the carbon that could be stored in the soil is stable organic matter. It's in the atmosphere. Mm. Broken water cycle. Like, yeah. Remember when... Okay, downtown Calgary flooded in 2013. Yep. But so did the Piper Creek and Red Deer. And for mm -hmm. the rest of that whole summer, there was heavy equipment by the bridge in 32nd Street that crosses the Piper Creek rehabilitating that creek. Who paid for that? Yeah. You did. City of Red Deer, taxpayer. Mm -hmm. And that's from a broken water cycle. This is the Piper Creek watershed here. So every wetland that's been drained, every percentage point of soil organic matter that we've lost has decreased the buffering capacity of that watershed. So we get runoff and then a bunch of rain it all washes quickly into that watershed. Oh yeah. If you've got soil that's mellow, that can absorb, like we've had it tested. This field compared to the one across the road. Probably insane. We have a water infiltration rate that's 10 to 100 times higher. Holy moly. So, I don't know. Yeah, okay, so this is what we're seeing happen in Saskatchewan. These yeah. renters come in on a yearly term. It's like there's no stewardship. Yeah. And so now we're seeing these land stewards retiring out of agriculture. Where, where does that leave us? So mm -hmm. I guess I hope that there's legions of young people interested in producing food for their communities and their families. Yeah. Or the world. Although I hate this feeding the world rhetoric. <laughs> um, that can come in and look after it. Yeah. 
Oh man, I, I think it's cool. Like hopefully, hopefully more people get into it. I think the awareness thing is, is gonna be really key. Like, have you thought about doing more public type speak? Like, cause you, you like, you're, the knowledge that's in your head is crazy. Like, I've never heard any of this stuff before. Nerd alert! I'm pretty impressed. I'm super, like, yeah, I, I think it's super cool. Like, you know, you know your craft very well. Like, just from the way you talk about it. Like, you could probably, hopefully, I don't know. My podcast isn't massive, but people will listen to it. And they'll share it if it's something that interests them, too. So, hopefully, it gets some traction. Even if one person's like, you know what? This is a cool idea. And they want to give you a shout or something online. Check it out be really rad have you thought about doing like public speaking well, things or a little do you bit do more like you you do some more stuff like you like have people out here and whatever we do our field days yeah uh, i started volunteering for the classroom agriculture program this year oh nice so yeah we talked to grade four students about mm-hmm. agriculture sweet that's been that's been a lot of fun yeah because i put that presentation together i started talking to high school students as well like the lipcomb high school has an oh, agriculture nice. program yeah we've got customers that teach at uh saint mary's high school in calgary which okay. actually got flooded in 2013 it's right downtown oh, okay so i yeah. talked to his social studies class and yeah here's the thing about teenagers is they're, they're like uh from what i can tell i don't have teenagers yet i got little oh, kids man. and i'm cringing at the thought of having teenage yeah, daughter especially one but day. <laughs> it's like they're so cool right you ask them if they have any questions not one hand goes up no i know if they're too afraid to like ask a question which is so sad but they give they give themselves away so during this presentation they just are like locked on every single one of them is like glued mm-hmm. and that's how you know that you're you're they're hitting it they're not going to tell you a thing yeah but they just wear that wear it all on their face you're like For okay sure. they're into this this yeah. matters yeah man there's one girl that kind of fell asleep but then, when as soon as we started talking about slaughter and stuff, she just like was oh, on yeah. it. You could just see that that was a particular issue that she cared about and mattered. Anyway, no, it's exciting. Here's sure. the cool thing about direct marketing all our meat, though, is it builds this community. Like we yeah. sell beef to like 200 families. That's awesome. And then there's a bunch more people that we've sold to in the past or have signed up for our newsletter. Yeah. So when I send out a newsletter, it's going out to more people than that. Like, mm-hmm. I think it goes out to 700 people. Nice. If I was selling my calves at the auction mart, it's like I'm dealing with one cattle buyer who wants to pay me the least amount oh, as 100%. possible. Yeah, 100%. So we get people that pay the price that we set and then care. And so there's an audience there too, you know? So I try to write newsletters. We try to host field days. Nice. Stuff like this, you know? It's like a cool yeah. opportunity to talk about. For sure, man. I don't know. It feels important to me, but... I, I think it's cool, for sure. It's It's sweet to like to talk to people that have like it's almost like a it's like you work hard but it's like a passion project too yeah right because you you see the benefit to it in more ways than one like there's so many more benefits from what i've heard you say it's like the food is good what it does for the environment is good overall if everybody was doing this there's a dog in that truck there's a dog in that truck how did he get in there (laughs) she rode out with me to check calves oh sweet and then she didn't want to get out again well, the window's open. Window's open. It's all good. Yeah. But, like, if everybody was doing this, we would have a more stable everything. Right? Climate-wise, I'm I'm a full believer in this climate change thing, man. Like, from what I've heard, it's very compelling. 
I see these stupid arguments like, oh, what do we got to do to increase the climate change? And there's a cartoon of a dude with a hairdryer on a big thermometer. What do we need the temperature to be at today? I'm like, this is real. Like, we're yeah. destroying the world completely. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, as we sit here and smoky june 1st yeah like yeah exactly i don't do you remember this growing up with these giant fires i remember once there was some big fire by edmonton mm -hmm. it was like a teenager and i remember that being smoky and my mom was like yeah she, she could wipe her finger on the hood of the car and there was like ash but that was wow. it now yeah. this is like every year and earlier and earlier Cologne is and on for fire longer. every year like that yeah. that land is on fire all the time so okay can we talk about climate change for a bit let's do it, <laughs> let's do it man cows have a bad rap right they do they belch out methane this is true yeah when cows eat cellulose mm -hmm. uh the byproduct is methane mm -hmm. so the the and it's a fact that grass-fed beef emit more methane because yeah. they're eating more fiber than a feedlot animal. Okay. And the conventional guys love love saying that shit. Yeah, for sure. Okay. We had some st uh, some scientists from the UK came out to this farm in 2015. Yeah, really. To study grasslands, mm -hmm. uh, our grazing management specifically, mm -hmm. as a potential to sequester carbon. All right, where do we start? So what happens at the soil level? You see plant growing, plant matter growing above the soil. Yeah. Reflected at the soil surface is an equivalent amount of root mass growing down into the soil. Yes. So what happens is the animals come and they graze the top of that plant, mm -hmm. and that plant sheds an equal amount of root mass into the soil. Yeah. And that is basically bug food. All the biology in the soil is going to feed off of that. Yeah. Um, go off and then scavenge for nutrients and water for that plant to recover. It's like you have to mow your lawn all summer mm -hmm. because that's basically what's happening. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I kind of want to get a goat for my... <laughs> I think it'd be sweet. I don't know if it's allowed, but I was like, yeah, I should just get a goat. These plants want to keep growing back. Yeah. Okay. So... And then the goat's happy. You got a goat. Hilarious. What happens over time is that creates a pulsing effect as the roots grow deep and then die back, grow deep, die back. Mm, okay. And that pulsing introduces air and water deeper and deeper into the subsoil. Cool, yeah. It, and it converts subso anaerobic subsoil into aerobic topsoil. And in okay. doing so, it sequesters huge amounts of carbon. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So the result of that process over like, let's say 10,000 years of bison on the North American prairie mm. is the first settlers had to describe that they had to stand on top of their horses just to see over top of the grass. Wow. And when they excavate for new homes in Winnipeg, they're digging through eight feet of topsoil. That's it's crazy. Epic. Yeah. So huge. And the soil organic matter was about 20%. Mm. Very high. Yeah. So now most of the prairie has gone under the plow, been turned over, and the soil organic matter is down near 2%. So where did all that carbon go? Like that's all just carbon-based life. It's roots, it's living plants, it's humus. Yeah. It all went into the atmosphere. Mm. So, you know, agriculture is a huge player in climate change. Okay, so how do we get that carbon back? Mm -hmm. 
well, we need to recreate that pulsing effect. Yeah. And so bison would graze the perennial grasslands driven by predators. Yeah. Wolves and yeah. cougars. They would push them all over exactly. the place. Exactly. They'd yeah. keep moving. So there was a rest period. They'd graze and then they'd rest. Cutting this in half because that seems fair. Okay. <laughs> My knife is dull as hell. I'm going to sharpen your knife for you before you go. You have a knife sharpener? I do. I know. I trimmed some wood with this thing the other day, and I was like, "Ah, eh, wrecked it." Okay. <laughs> Thanks, man. We can we can rehabilitate it. All right, let's go up. Anyway, so basically that's what we try to do using electric fence. We kind of do biomimicry. We've got a herd of ruminant animals, yeah, cows instead of bison. Mm -hmm. We've got a diversity of tame and native forages, yeah, <clears throat> and we use electric fence to control their movement. So. Yeah the grazing intensity and then importantly the rest period yeah and so what these scientists found is we're able to sequester three tons of co2 per hectare per year hmm. that pasture across the road which is kind of more conventional kick the cattle out in the spring gather them up in the fall yeah is able to sequester one ton of co2 per hectare per year and the field across the road which i'm sure is sown to canola this year is a net loss so obviously industry has an interest in figuring out where to put the excess of carbon in the atmosphere. So there's a lot of talk about trees, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just saw a thing on CBC the other day that said trees are a great carbon sink, and they are, there's no question. I but feel like that's been common knowledge forever. Here's so. the problem. All the carbon is stored in their tissue, the trunk, the branches, the leaves. So what happens? when there's a wildfire all that carbon goes back into the atmosphere yeah grasslands have huge potential because if we had a grass fire 99% of that carbon is locked away in the soil as stable organic matter mm. so okay that's great grasslands are good for ecosystem we are good for the climate but we haven't talked about cows belching methane so they scientists had a machine to measure the co2 and they used carbon 13 as a tracer okay it was pretty cool actually because <laughs> they had this tiny little gas bottle with uh, pure carbon 13 in it, it right. street value 10 grand it was like <laughs> holy shit so they built these tents yeah. and they could so they could control the atmosphere and yeah. that's where they were monitoring and so they would pulse in this carbon 13 and then you could see it on their monitor how the plants we're breathing it in and so then they can oh, wow. then they can measure how much is uh sequestered as plant tissue yeah how much is respired by the plant within 24 hours and how much is locked away in the soil as stable organic matter okay and it was like as a farmer it was so cool because you could see on the monitor how these plants are breathing it's like infrared kind of um, however, it or? was just numbers oh, so I you'd see. see this carbon 13 go in and there'd be a big spike and right. then i you you'd look at plants and you don't think that they breathe but it was like just like yeah. you and i are sitting here breathing yeah those plants it was like within three minutes the carbon 13 had gone back down to zero yeah. because the plant had breathed it all in it mm. was like so crazy right wow. anyway so this machine monitors for co2 and for methane and so they switched it over to methane and i brought the cattle like right next to it so yeah. they could monitor it and what they were seeing was that the methane was being absorbed into the soil mm -hmm. by methanotropic bacteria so in an yeah. extensive grass-based yeah. beef production system the methane argument 
is a red herring. It's irrelevant. Because of all the grass. Yeah, and the vibrant soil biology. Wow. That's fascinating. So, there you go. In defense of the cow. It's not the cow, it's the how. I get you. I get you. I've heard I've heard funny things like they're gonna start trying to introduce like seaweed into cow's diet to like curb too, the methane yeah. thing and they're this is this whole carbon thing is kind of silly because like I heard a thing um, from this David Wallace Wells guy, he's like an environmentalist okay. columnist guy and super smart. He said that California, all of California's like emission laws and all the stuff that they're doing to try to like curb the carbon footprint of people and blah, blah, blah is basically lost almost every year to the fires. And then the, and how the fires like, yeah, like obviously there's carbon in like all the trees and grass and everything that it's burning up. So it's like, they're not really getting ahead at all. And then they could, they could do a lot to the to the soil just by having like animals and all that stuff in it but everything is basically out of there so yeah and it's just like people are just wrecking everything essentially is what he boils it right down to but it's fascinating man i think it's super cool it's good that it makes a huge difference in like the life of every everybody and especially like the people that are buying it well, and it's such a big, ugly problem, right? It's yeah. like climate change. What the hell can I do? I'm one guy. Yeah. Like, just trying to make ends meet and raise kids that aren't delinquents. Yeah. Right? And Plus, then you'd add... about the problems of the universe? Friggin' climate change on <laughs> yeah. top. It's like, yeah. the hell? Yeah. So, <laughs> I feel like that's one solution we're trying to help our customers with. It's like, okay, yeah. you can pay the same amount of mo- money... Mm-hmm. and buy beef from us instead of from the grocery store yeah and then you can feel like you're doing something because you are because we measure it it's like we're actively sequestering carbon in the soil yeah. we're actively infiltrating water like mm-hmm. there's no water that leaves this place and if there is sometimes in the spring it's crystal clear it's not loaded with sediment and topsoil yeah we're producing food that's measurably more nutrient dense than the conventional supply like we had our yeah. steak analyzed at the u of t at the faculty of nutrition yeah 10 times the omega-3 content of a normal steak 75 milligrams per serving that's a significant source it's like Mm -hmm. we know that a lack of omega-3s in the diet leads to heart disease and poor cognitive function it's Mm -hmm. like so seems like a no-brainer yeah that's what i think so but it's like (laughs) we're just one tiny little farm trying to grind it out we have no industry backing you know the messaging is yeah, do you get any subsidies at all? No. No. It's a small business. Yeah. So you probably get taxed even more. Some, uh, we have to make ways. money to get taxed. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. The, the tax rate for farmers is good, but... Oh, that's sweet. Nice. Um, yeah, honestly, we just, like, as, this is our 10th season. Yeah. Any money we make goes back into the farm, so... Wow. And then uh, until this point... Feed your kids and... Well, yeah, up until last September, I've been working off farm full time. You know? wow. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've used my journeyman carpenter's ticket a lot over That's the crazy, last decade. Man. Wow. That's a lot of work. Didn't it's, manage it all. What? How do you do it? When do you sleep? Oh, I don't know. Um, get some gray hairs. Yeah, I do have some gray <laughs> hairs. I totally crashed and burned last year. So oh, yeah. It was one thing when it was just me. Another yeah. thing when it was just me and Ange. Oh, yeah. But it's like, yeah, I had a full-time off-farm job, full-time on-farm job, and a family, and enough energy for two of those things. No kidding. And I'll let you guess which one got sacrificed the most. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. 
So yeah, this is our big year for us because we. That's super exciting. We're increasing our herd size and we're kind of jumping in with both feet. Awesome. So it is exciting. It's nerve wracking, but it had yeah. to happen eventually. That's exciting. There's no right yeah. time. No, no, there's not. It's just you just gotta try and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I honestly super hope I'll advertise the shit out of this and hopefully like. The numbers are decent on the thing, on the podcast. Like, it's average, like, at least 200. Really? Yeah. Like, awesome. I, I get all the numbers and all the stats and whatever. Like, it's... I've had over, like, 3,000 total listens yeah. on all the episodes. And I've done, like... This would be number... I don't even know. 17? So, average, yeah. you know, on all those is pretty good. Tyler, yeah. Tyler Wheeler's bumps it up. Oh really? He's, he's, he's so the, popular. He's the most, I don't know. He's the most popular dude. He's. I think he's at like 500 listens almost now. Shit. Pretty good. I was debating between wearing my anchor shirt know, like or anchor. my blue collar textile shirt Ooh. today. I wasn't sure. That's. They're both grassroots <laughs> dudes, though, so you're good to go either way. Mm. That's sweet, man. Anything else you can think of? Oh, I don't know. I could keep going on this stuff all day. So. Oh, that's exciting, yeah. man. Well, we can we can obviously do this again. Like maybe after you're done this year, you can we can meet again. And yeah. You can tell me how it went. And I think this is whatever. a great idea. I love listening to I listen to the Death by Fooey podcast because oh, nice. I love hearing a Red Deer centric podcast. Yeah. So I'd really want to see this work out for you. It's been fun. I've never yeah. Then I didn't think it would it would be as I was expecting like. 20 people yeah i'm like for sure i'm like oh yeah i know i know 20 people that would listen to a podcast on red deer local dudes that have done things and skateboarders mostly right like and the more the crazy thing is the more i do this the more i'm like skateboarders are the coolest people so far except for um i did one with a retired fire captain oh never skateboarded in his life that's the only guy though but everybody has like gotten into at least in some capacity skateboarding and done things because of skateboarding yeah. and it I, I honestly feel like it breeds a certain type of individual that is willing to like jump downstairs and take hits and like push and push and push to do something like you it i say it all the time because i teach skateboard lessons out in sylvan lake um register your kids Sylvan Lake Town, whatever dot com, okay. it's, it's on there. Um, but I tell them every time that skateboarding is like it's more than just like playing with a piece of wood with some aluminum trucks and urethane wheels on it. Like it's it's so much yeah. more. It's like it's honestly completely life applicable because it's like applicable. I know I said that weird, <laughs> but it applies to life so much because it's like you push through hard things it's so rewarding when you do something that you work for instead of just having it given to you that's my knock on scooter kids because it's easy as hell right like interesting some of the stuff that those kids do is intense for sure like don't get me wrong it takes skill and practice but skateboarding is something it's inherent in skateboarding there's no handle man no it's hard man you got to use your feet to get that sucker off the ground just to push like remember learning to push god oh it's hard yeah, kid, teaching kids how to push around is like the number one thing. I'm like, if you can develop this balance, then you're pretty much set. Yeah. It builds like, oh, like there's so much about it I can get into. Like, it builds like your leg strength, your core strength, like anything you do athletically. If you if you're a skateboarder, then you are an athletic human being. Yes. Like, it's funny, it's cool. 
but I went to Hunting Hills High School for one year in grade nine, and in we did this one thing where we did like a in gym like kind of track and field day, and I broke the record for the triple jump, and I'm like never done this before in my life. And I, like, I broke the record because, like, I had just, like, massive legs from skateboarding yeah. around for, like, all summer and the summer before that and kind of thing. And I'm, like, not a jock. Like, it yeah. was totally, like, yeah. jocks versus oh skateboarders God, back in that, that day. amazing. But I don't know. It's cool. And, like, obviously skateboarding and stuff had a decent influence on your life, which is sweet. And now you're a super farmer guy. And you could probably still rip. Go and roll around. Skateboarding, <laughs> yeah, like there's all the physical benefits, and mm-hmm. the older I get, the more I see the psychological benefits. It's oh, like yeah. it gives you courage, mm-hmm. it gives you um, courage and perseverance, confidence. Yeah. confidence. Like, yeah. God, remember learning to drop in? Oh, dude, Woo. never taken such a beating in my life, mm-hmm. but you, then you do it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, God, that yeah. is so huge for a kid. Oh, yeah, man, if you can learn to do that, then just there's no stopping you, man. To yeah, to see kids learn to drop in on a ramp, they are so excited. It is crazy. Yeah. Like just to see them like go up there and try it, yeah. and then like push through like the fear of it. No, that's I think that's a big thing because lots of people are just like, I'm too afraid. I'm not doing this. Yeah, but to like to like actually go up there and be like, I'm afraid, and I'm gonna try it anyway. But to, uh, that applies to so much in life. Like even changing a job. Or becoming a first-generation farmer. That's a daunting task, yep. and you're afraid, but you've made it work, which is amazing. <laughs> it seems so crazy to me. Skateboarding is the perfect analogy. Yeah, it's like, it can be. Yeah. For sure. I don't know if you know who Jordan Peterson is. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Did you read his book, 12 mm-hmm. Rules for Life? No. One of, one of the chapters I've is, heard some, yeah. don't heard bother a child while they're skateboarding. Yeah, that's so, pretty cool. Because he says if you do, it's like you end up with a society that's everyone's infantilized he like works mm-hmm. at the u of t mm-hmm. tons of skateboarding features there and then they put in nubs on every oh, ledge yeah. and it's yeah. like what are you trying to accomplish here do you want people who are courageous and willing to try dangerous things or do you want people that are like told no and can't do yeah. anything yeah just yeah it's so cool i get the property damage and all that stuff but like skateboarders will go and knock the nubs off yeah. You know, like they will do. I've I've went down to Bower Ponds and ground the freaking caps off of the handrail going down <laughs> to the water there, like late, like two in the morning. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, I'm gonna do a trick on this rail, and it's got this on it, and I have the technology. I'm gonna go do this. Thank you, Dewalt, for the cordless grinder. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was a Makita one. Makita. But okay. yeah, it, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's it's cool, man. Like. Yeah, and you guys are, you guys are persevering out here. It's sweet that you're getting big and. Okay, so what? What do you think about here. this? Because it's like, you're a man of faith. I yes, gather sir. from the podcasts I've listened to. Yep. And so the Christian faith is big on sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was gonna actually say so, this too when we were talking about the slaughtering, because they did it back in the day like crazy. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I feel like if you're if there's something worthwhile doing, there's a great deal of sacrifice involved yep. to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're learning to drop in, you might have to sacrifice <laughs> your body a little bit. A little bit, yeah. 
And unfortunately, in this farming pursuit, one of the things I basically had to sacrifice is skateboarding. Okay. It's like, I'm yeah. surrounded by gravel and For grass. Sure. Yeah. I remember it dawned on me. It was June 21st, go skateboarding day, and I, like, trucked it out to this the crappiest closest piece of pavement I could find oh, to like bust out a few ollies and nice it's like god I'm not much of a skateboarder anymore I yeah. still have all my boards that's and sweet like, that's sweet but yet it feels somehow worth it it's like yeah I have found I'm finding meaning in my life every day in my work and mm -hmm. I feel grateful for the influence skateboarding has had on me and yeah does that make sense does that resonate at all yeah for sure. Okay. Because, like, yeah, sometimes you got to lay down one thing to pick up another. Yeah. And that's... Well said. Totally cool. Yeah, even, I don't know, even, like, becoming a father and whatever, you just, like, you just, like, let go of certain things because there's certain things that are more important. Yeah. That's, yeah, totally legit. There's there's times. It's never... Like, I'll, I'll always be a skateboarder. I can't really do it too much now. Just, like, time-wise and, like, my, my knees kind of still sore from surgery that i got on it okay whatever but it'll always be there you should just come and check out like we do like a go skateboard day contest yeah. at the park on the 21st and it's fun it's just fun to like be there and hang out with people and there's a barbecue and yeah. stuff too and okay i'm gonna check it out i uh bring some meat yeah yeah, yeah we'll sponsor the barbecue that'd be fun that'd be pretty intense yeah uh people would be like what and when I first got into pool riding and bull riding, that, that was one thing that stood out to me. It's like, that's where the old boys were. Oh, yeah. You're going to find a 40 or 50-year-old. That's where they're at. Yeah. And, the, like, the vibe was just so positive. It's mm -hmm. like... It's a good time. Yeah. I've never, like, I haven't been, like, too much of, like, just a pool dog. Like, I still go and try to do everything yeah but like i've been to sessions where the, like there's the old dudes with like the full pads and they're just like yeah bro yeah like just pump yeah they're pro and they're probably not too much older than me too but i've always been like felt younger than they were <laughs> but i'm probably like their age kind of thing but it's funny i'm, I'm turning into one of those dudes i don't think i'll ever wear the full pads but uh, do you wear anything nah. no knee brace knee brace yeah yeah okay that's about it um what about your career? Like you heavy duty mechanic, you yeah. work with your body. Yeah. That's so fear of mine that the guy that I bought the herd of cattle with, that mm -hmm. we skateboarded endlessly together. Yeah. He wrecked himself at the park. Oh just yeah. Dicking around with his kids. And it's like, wow, his oh, yeah. wife had to do all the farm work. It like Ooh. just about broke their farm one summer. Yeah. You know, it's spring. We're all excited. We're out skateboarding and then mm -hmm. he wrecks himself. Yeah. How do you balance those two things? Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I th I think about it, and I'm pretty conscious. I know that you can hurt yourself doing anything. So I, maybe I'm just ignorant to the fact that like I could really hurt myself, but I've never really worried about it because I'm like I've done this for a long time, yeah. and I know my limits. I feel like in my head, I feel like I have a conscious like pretty good conscience like awareness of like okay this is this is within my realm yeah. right now and there's things where it's like okay this is not in my realm i shouldn't do this at this stage are you still working on new tricks and stuff or are you staying more and more in that realm of like tricks you know i still work on stuff to an extent like i um did mostly just flat ground flippy okay tricky thingies yeah um, I've lost a lot of stuff, which is really sad. Like, I used to have, like, a lot of tricks. 
pretty dialed in where I could do them on anything, but now I haven't done one for a long time kind of thing. So, and it's like risk, like I know just like how, like how I've committed two tricks and like bailed out of them, like what that would do to my leg now kind of thing. Mm. So I like, I'm just like, yeah, I can't even risk it because I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And I know I can like, I can try it and run out of it, but I don't know if I can run out of it the same or whatever. So it's just like, just, it's more of like a kind of a mental awareness thing that I like I can I know like what I've done in the past and like picture it and like how it, how it's played out I just I have those not like vivid memories but like muscle memory type things of okay when this happened before I did this but now I know I don't know if I can do that so yeah. I just it's off the table sort yeah. of thing yeah. yeah 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 I feel like that's got to be a natural progression it's like oh for sure when you're young and so resilient you can take push yourself so far physically mm -hmm. and rebound but as we get older and hopefully more wiser like you said it's yeah. like the realm becomes decreasingly physical and increasingly like psychological yeah spiritual you know way, it's yeah, like god sure. i feel like i'm pushed as a father, you know, more often than I, like in, in kind of the same way that I would have been skateboarding when I was a teenager. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It bring, yeah, it brings you to just different mental limits. And it's the it is the same, like when you're mentally like stressing out about a, tr about a trick or whatever, it can really easily relate to like dealing with a child problem at home. It's like, okay, hey, how do I handle this? Yeah. You know, and I don't know, maybe. Or money problems. Or yeah career stuff yeah May i don't know maybe it makes you cooler under pressure i've never really felt like massive pressure to like perform in skateboarding unless we were doing like a demo or like i travel i traveled around with a skateboarding missionary group yeah and we did like demos in front of kids and shows and you know you had your your tricks that you were kind of expected to do in a way like you were an athlete on a tour it was Christian, so you're like, you weren't paid to be there, but you paid to be there. But you still want to be at a certain level. Like, they had, like, audition-type things, and lots of it was, like, how you are as, like, a, a human being more yeah. than just, like, your ability on a skateboard. But, like, it, I don't know, it's, it kind of relates, like, just pressure-wise. Like, okay, like, I need to... It's coming down to the time where we're going to... The lights go down, get up on the ramp, the music starts... You have your set things you got to do. And it's like, there's like an element of stress in there. But it's good, I think, to be exposed to those kind of, those things that you have to go through. It's sweet. It teaches you life skills. Definitely. For sure, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, and even dealing with injury, like, it put, like persevering through like an injury and all that stuff is like, man, how am I going to do this? It's taken away from something I really want to do, but I have to deal with this. I don't know. It's just, it just helps you deal with aspects of life in different yeah. ways right yeah helps keep you humble too it's like just yeah. when you think you're good you take a big bail yeah. it's like it makes you aware of like what's important i think too like um in reese like last last year at this time i had a knee surgery and my knee got infected and then i had to go into the hospital infected yeah like in during surgery Ooh. some bacteria got in there and it, the surgeon had to sneeze. Some something. It was like it was like a mouth bacteria is what I looked it up because they told me what it was and they're like, yeah, you have a <laughs> fine Goldia magna bacteria, bacterial infection. I'm like, oh okay. 
So I googled it, and it's yeah. like named after this dude. It's like from human whatever hair or mouth or saliva or Friggin mouth like, breathers. Holy. Okay, that's crazy. So had that happen, it it set me back probably like for like a year recovery wise. I would say yeah. I'm just I feel like just now starting to get like kind of back to where I was. It's still there's still pain, wow. which sucks. But, um, so my initial plan was like, get the surgery, take two weeks off, go back to work, light duty. So I did that, but then the two weeks back on my two week, uh, checkup with the surgeon, he's like, eh, it looks kind of red. I'll get you some antibiotics. Boom. Did those for a week. Um, and I was working too, like just doing kind of office type stuff in that time. And then the weekend... I was finished my antibiotics and my fever just spiked up to like 42 Sunday Whoa. night. So I was like, death. So I went to the hospital, or my wife dropped me off at the hospital and I went in and um, they checked me in right away, got me on antibiotics like right away and blah, blah, blah. Cause I was like, I'm I'm dying. Like I'm so hot. Like I don't, I, I had just had the surgery and they're like, well, it might not be related. There's like a flu going around, blah, blah, blah. So I did that and I did antibiotics for a few days and then I had to go see my surgeon again um, on the Wednesday and he like checked it and I'm like, I told him, I'm like, just put your hand on my knees, the opposing knee, feel the temperature of this one, now feel this one. This one's hot. Yeah. He's like, okay, whatever. He's like, there must be something. So he gets like, goes in, he's like, okay, we'll freeze it and we'll pull a sample. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So he goes, gets his freezing needle, jams a couple in there, leaves. Comes back with like a cartoon sized syringe. Like probably something you'd stab a cow with betcha. Oh like you God. have syringes that are like this long. <laughs> Comes in, he's like, Okay, just you know, lean back, relax. I'm like, Okay, sweet. Oh. Jams the sucker in there, pulls out this like yellow goo. Uh. I'm like, Oh shit. That doesn't look good. He's like, No, your knee's really infected. I'm like, Okay. He's like, Yeah, we need to I'm gonna see if I can book you in for surgery like now. I'm like, Jesus. he's like, when's the last time you ate? I'm like, well, it's two right now. I had lunch, so, you know, noon, 11.30. He's like, well, you should probably wait 24 hours, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, go home, don't eat, come to the hospital tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We'll get you in for surgery. So I go in for surgery. It flushed like 18 liters of saline solution through my knee because it was just nasty. And the surgeon came out. He's like, yeah, we flushed it out. It looked really good. He's, I'm like, yeah, I saw the syringe. Like, the stuff came out. He's like, you should have seen the stuff that came out of there, man. I'm like, okay. Sounds awesome. He's like, yeah, so we'll keep you in the hospital, keep you monitored, whatever. I'm like, yep, yeah, sounds good. So I was in there for like two days and my temperature went back up. Then I had another surgery to clean it out again. Whoa. Um, so I stayed in there, they kept doing, monitoring my blood work, blah, blah, blah. Temperature goes back up, another surgery. I'm like, oh my goodness. So, final clean out, they came in every once in a while and like stabbed my knee and like pulled samples. And if it was clear, it was good. But if it was like yellowy, they would do it again. So I had one more final surgery after that just to check. Essentially, they're like, well, we just want to check it. Because if it's not good this time, we'll have to like remove the graft. And then, like, basically, like, open my knee, like, right up. Like, like it's way it. more invasive. Like, yeah. cut, we cut you right across the top, spread it open, take the graft out, clean it out, mm. put it put it all back together. I'm like, oh. And you'd lose your 
lose your ACL, which is what I went in there to get fixed. So wow. it came back good that time. Then I was on antibiotics for six weeks. After yeah. like that, I had a pick line in my arm, like right here. There's like a mini yeah. little scar. So they jam a tube in here into your artery, and it goes right to your aorta valve. So you like hard line antibiotics oh, for six weeks. Yeah. So throughout all that, I realized a lot of things about like where I was working because I didn't have um, short-term disability benefits. Yeah. So that taught me a lot of stuff about like, okay, I got to find something that's going to provide me with these benefits if anything happens again. Because like we almost went broke. Yeah. Right? Because that's like two months of me not working instead of two weeks. Yeah. So it really helped me like prioritize like. I was making lots of money, but I had nothing like in the in the back yeah. in case something happened, sort of thing. So it it taught me a lot of stuff in that regard, and it's just like all life lessons. And it's funny, like the root of my injury was skateboarding, so it doesn't really relate, but it it took me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Man, that's crazy. So it shows you. I don't know. I've told the story lots on here, so it's kind of oh, yeah. second okay. age now. But yeah, it's like. It just shows you, like, where your priorities should lie and, like, what you should do and, like, how are you going to provide for your family and what are you going to do if this happens and just life stuff, you yeah. know? I'm not perfect at it, obviously, but... None of us are, man. It's getting there. Yeah. Hmm. So it's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, man. <clears throat> well, that's my spiel. That's your spiel. Yeah. That's I think my we spiel. did it. This has been fun. I hope Dude, this goes somewhere for you. It's I hope it goes somewhere for you, man. I hope, <laughs> honestly, like, above all else, like, I hope it, for the people that are in your type of position, like, you're probably the first dude that has, like, just, I don't know, everybody likes Sean Mack, maybe already, hopefully, hopefully that did something for him. But, like, for you, for your business, hopefully it raises some awareness to you, like, what you're doing, and... If you get one customer. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So I guess for your listeners, you can go to our website, yeah. prairiegoldmeats.ca. Um, there's all the info you could ever possibly want to know about our herd share program. And there's a bunch of different ways to sign up for our newsletter. And that's Sweet. kind of the best way to stay in the loop. Or you can follow us on Instagram at prairiegoldmeat. Do that. It's a cool Instagram. Um, yeah, or just phone me. Yeah, <laughs> Numbers on the website. I'm just oh, a guy. Nice. You can text me, whatever. <laughs> um, we're close to Red Deer, so come for a tour. Yeah. Come get eggs. It's beautiful out here, man. Nice. It is a nice spot. It's nice, quiet, peaceful, yeah. out of the city. Yeah. And I think I'm going to go skateboarding this week. I'm excited. You should come to the June 21st thing, man. Okay. It's cool. And the... Um, all the all that info oh, yeah, is coming up. Is right. on, yeah, it's that didn't coming. register before. Yeah. Oh, June twenty first. Yeah, um, I'm a member of Central Alberta Skateboarding Association, and there's a website with all like the dates of all the stuff that we're doing on there, so you can check Kay. that out. They're on Instagram too. Kay. Casa C A S A. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, man, for sure. Do some partnership stuff, maybe with some meat and whatever. Yeah. I like that you sell your beef jerky at Troubled Monk fantastic i had some the other week when we went there i'm like oh we gotta buy this they still have some that's good oh yeah man i took three cows in to get butchered to made almost in exclusively into jerky yeah and the butcher <laughs> i should have got like 500 pounds of jerky back i got 25 pounds back and the rest he turned into ground beef i'm like 
You blew uh, it. Oh, exactly. You um, blew it. I asked you specifically. So, wow. I took it to Big Bend, the ground beef, and made it into pepperoni. Oh, nice. So, Troubled Monk, I have to bring them samples this week. They should have our pepperoni soon. So if you're it's out there and you're getting our yeah. beef jerky, then savor it because it's the last for a while. Okay. I don't have an infinite amount of cows to butcher, Should've unfortunately. Yeah, so. That'd be sweet, I guess. Hey. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Super good. Yeah, you just had some of the pepperoni right now. Fantastic, dude. Yeah. yeah. Hey, sweet, man. Well, you're a smart guy. Appreciate all your knowledge and Thanks. what you're doing for the world and for the, the bellies of many people around here, too. Look, man. Red Deer's pretty much the best place i like it i freaking love it yeah and uh it feels very meaningful to have grown up here to have left mm -hmm. to have learned some skills and to come home and to be serving our community with those skills yeah that adds to the level of meaning super awesome for Ange and i both yeah so it's fine sweet good yeah stuff, bro. keep up the good work man you too okay thanks man <laughs> yeah okay bye Thanks for tuning in to the podcast, everybody, and special thanks to Blake for having me out to his farm. I don't know if you picked it up, but did you hear the peaceful birds chirping in the background throughout the whole podcast? The sweet sound of farm life. Man, it was beautiful out there. Super appreciated, and also special thanks to his wife for bringing us out the snacks and... Yeah, it was just a great time. Uh, big thanks to him for sure. He hooked me up with some uh, pepperoni and some hot dogs and some eggs. And dang, they're good. It's all delicious. Uh, go to prairiegoldmeats.ca. And if you listen to this whole podcast and you're like, dang, I need to get in on this. Don't be afraid to buy now. They are over 50% sold out. And you know what? You're paying the exact same price you'd pay at the grocery store for this meat that you can go out and actually see this cow walking around in the pasture, eating the grass, living the life, stress-free, hormone-free, locally, local, grass-fed, grass-finished, delicious beef. Ugh! Don't blow it. Get out there. Check it out. They do field trips, field days. You can give them a shout. Send them a text. Super open. This is a hard-working dude, man. This dude is a man's man. He'll sharpen your knife. Bring it out there. Um, yeah, thanks, everybody. Appreciate you all for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.